Thank you, gentlemen, for helping us in worship this morning and reminding us who the lighthouse is. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the, probably one of the most well-known, well, I know it is, one of the most well-known passages of Scripture. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan, found in Luke, the 10th chapter, verses 25 through 37. And some of you are saying, well, I've already heard all the sermons on the Good Samaritan. No, you haven't. The reason I'm preaching it, folks, we're not getting it, okay? That's the reason I'm preaching it. It's the most well-known parable of Jesus next to the prodigal son that there is in all the New Testament. And I want to tell you this morning, there's always something to learn from God's Word, regardless of how many times we've heard it. Because what I quoted to the children, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, is still true today as it was for me as a young seven or eight-year-old boy. It is true today for me as an older person. Year was 1941. Jews were being deported from France and were being sent into what we now know as concentration camps to be resettled there. A Russian artist had fled Paris because artists were being put to death along with musicians and professors and doctors and business owners who were Jewish background. They were being carted off into those concentration camps and if you study history you know there were over six million Jews slaughtered and killed during the Holocaust. In fact, 87 Jewish artists were killed in those early years, 41 and 42, 43, all from Paris. This was a Russian artist who fled to Paris and then fled Paris to Vichy. It's interesting that a well-known industrialist and a well-heeled person financially, one of the wealthiest people we had in our, our nation at the time, funded a committee to help get people who were being threatened, particularly Jewish people, emergency rescue committees who he funded that helped him. This artist escaped from Spain and then to the United States. His name was John D. Rockefeller, devoted, devout Republican industrialist, helping a Jewish and Jewish peoples flee the Nazi Holocaust. And it's interesting. The person he saved's name was Mark Chagall, a well-known artist to this day. His work has a childlike quality of faith in his work. That same Russian artist in 1967 would dedicate windows to a little church up in Union Hill, Pocantico Hills, but the Union Church at Pocantico Hills. The Rockefeller family chose him to help do some stained glass windows for their church. The main window, the first window he did is called the Good Samaritan. You say, well, why is that? It has Jesus' crucifixion in it, it has his resurrection in it, and it has this one parable in it, the Good Samaritan. This morning we're going to talk about what it means to love the Lord Jesus, to serve him, and to follow him, and do what he calls us to do. There are eight other windows, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, Daniel, Cherubim, the crucifixion itself, and that's what makes up the collection. But this one parable has the crucifixion, the ascension, and the good Samaritan in that one parable, in that one glass window. That parable is the only one that's there. In art history, this parable has been one of the most painted by all major artists through the centuries. Rembrandt, Van Gogh, Van Eyck. Hogarth, Delacroix, and a host of other artists have painted this parable. 
in Van Gogh's painting, which is after Delacroix's work, it shows the Samaritan loading the injured man on his horse to take him to get help. Rembrandt's etching shows the man being taken into an inn to get help. Whole scenes have been recorded in the church around the world through stained glass, through tapestries, through paintings of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan in our culture and in our legal language this morning speaks of someone who stops to help a stranger in need. They're covered by Good Samaritan law in most places if they stop to do that. So what can we learn from this parable this morning that we haven't already learned? Can we learn anything afresh and anew that would help us? Look at the parable found in Luke, the 10th chapter, and let me say a word of prayer as we begin. Father, in the few moments that we have, would you help us understand what it means to be a good Samaritan? And would you help us to, to know how to show your love to all people in need, regardless of who they are, in Jesus' name and for his sake? Amen. Luke 10th chapter, verse 25, should be on the screen. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is the first question he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus uses a Socratic method here. Method here. He, he turns the question back to him. What does the law say? You're an expert in the law. You know what the law says. What does the law say about eternal life? How do you, how do you inherit it? The law says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But notice verse 29. He wanted to justify himself. Has anybody in here ever wanted to justify yourself when you've been confronted? Have anybody in here ever blamed somebody? Well, it wasn't my fault. No, the water in the baptistry is a little cool this morning. It was, you can ask the boys, it was cooler than it usually is. But, you know, it wasn't their fault, you know, and it wasn't Bill's fault, the baptistry heater may have. I actually baptized one morning years ago in the Cuesta Baptist Church where the water was at about 36 degrees. And when the dear friend I baptized, Wayne Kidd, came up out of the water, he was going, <coughs> and I said, Wayne, do you want to say something? He said, <coughs> it's cold, Okay. You know, every time we do something and somebody calls our hand on it, what do we usually do? We want to defend ourselves. And so that's what the, the lawyer did. Notice what he did. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he made the mistake of asking Jesus a second question. Folks, don't ever ask Jesus a question if you don't want the answer. And who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? If you're here this morning and you've never asked the Lord Jesus into your life, you've never professed Christ as your personal Savior, this is a good day for you to do that. If you're here this morning and you know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, but you haven't been letting him work in your life because... The Holy Spirit's been convicting you of something and you won't confess it. You're casting blame or you're shifting, shifting the, you know, maybe you're here and you think everything is perfect in your life. I want to share something with you. There is not a person here that has a perfect life, including your pastor or his family. You see, the one thing that I love about this whole story, it deals with our attitude. 
You say, well, where is attitude in there? Look at the attitude of the lawyer. He wanted to justify himself. You see, our attitude is something we can always choose. Do you believe that? No matter what happens, and we can have a host of things go wrong in our lives, and things may not go our way, and we, you know, we're still given the power by God to choose to feel sorry for ourselves, to feel angry, to get frustrated, to, to be patient or be thankful or be happy or to forgive. It's in our power. God gives us that power. No matter what happens, when we cause something to happen to us, ourselves, because of our mistake or our failure, or someone else causes something to ha happen to us, or whether anyone has blamed us or cast blame on us, we still have the power to choose our attitude. Right? Am I not speaking to the right group? Okay. I ran across a quote from Anne Lamont's book, Plan B. And this is what her quote says. If you want to change the way you feel about people, you have to change the way you treat them. I'm going to repeat that for you if you didn't get it. If you want to change the way you feel about people, you have to change the way you treat them. You see what happens when we don't want to change the way we feel about somebody, we just ignore them. We just avoid them. We just, in Clifton, you just walk down the other street. Or you play like you don't see them. You know. And unfortunately sometimes people say, Brother Jerry didn't speak to me in church. Folks, I do my best. On any given Sunday I deal with 350 to 400 people. And it's hard. And I'm getting where you say, well, how do you remember names? I don't want to lose my memory. I try to remember names. But if I call Peyton Weston and Weston Peyton, they're going to forgive me. Because they know they get, or call it, uh, Payson and Weston, yeah, yeah, what? Yeah, Pestic and what? I mean, you know, they get their names mixed up all the time. Uh, you know, in our family, because we have 17 to 18 J names in our family, you know, there's Jerry, Josh, Jenna, Joel, Jenna, Joe, Joe T. I mean, we can go down the list, Jazz, James. I keep on going if y'all want me to. After a while, people just say, hey, you. <laughs> And they point at you. Now I want you to think about the quote from Anne Lamont. If you want to change the way you feel about people, you have to change the way you treat them. And I want you to think about that window, and I started to get a picture of it. I've shown it before years ago. The character of the story. Main character, lawyer or scribe. Some of your translations to know. An expert in the law. He was a Pharisee of the strictest sense of the Jewish religious leaders. Most likely he dressed the part. Most likely he had a robe on. Most likely his arms were covered in phylacteries. You say, well, what's phylacteries? Little boxes that held scripture in them where they would remember the scripture. They even had a one that went around the, the head with a little box in front that usually had the Shema in it. Deuteronomy 6.5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second one is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. You learned that, didn't you, in Bible drill? All you Bible drillers, you could say it with me together, couldn't you? Love your neighbor as yourself. I've even put it on the front of the bulletin, but I put the Romans passage on there. Now that lawyer in Matthew and Mark, refer to him as 
he gave this question to test Jesus. But let's just give him, let's, let's give him the benefit of the doubt this morning. Maybe he really wanted to know, how do you inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies, what does the law say? And he quotes the law back to Jesus. And notice what he says to the lawyer after he does that. Do this and you will live. Jesus is saying, if you'll love the Lord with all that you are, heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and if you'll love your neighbor as you love yourself, you will find life in ways you never dreamed possible. You've answered correctly, do this and live. But the lawyer attitude was the problem. Second question, who is my neighbor? And I said it a while ago, and I'll say it again because some of you didn't get it. Do not ask Jesus a question if you do not want the answer. Hear me. Because sometimes Jesus is going to say, go look in the mirror. You're the problem. His Holy Spirit will quicken your spirit when you get so judgmental and so complaining about things and go look in the mirror. It's about attitude. You know, here we are 2,000 years later and we're, st we're still trying to figure out who our neighbor is. Second character of the story, the traveler. Well, he's somewhat foolhardy and naive. He was traveling on... Alone on a road that was one of the most treacherous in all the area. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho, folks. You need to understand. Jerusalem is at 2,300 feet above sea level. Jericho was 1,300 feet below sea level. We're talking about a 3,600 foot drop in elevation. And it was a place where robbers frequented it. You didn't travel it alone. It was not a safe place. Maybe he didn't know that. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's the first time he's ever traveling down through there and nobody told him how dangerous it was. Even through the 19th century, not in Jesus' day, but through the 19th century, money had to be paid for safe passage down this road. You can study it historically. He entered on this journey without a lot of common sense. Do we have any common sense today? Now, I'm going to get an amen out of this. Does our Congress have any common sense? Yeah, most, most people in early service said, no, they don't. Well, that's, that's true. Not using a lot of common sense, does it? And, you know, what happens to him? Robbers and thieves, third characters in the, in the story. The man is attacked and robbed, beaten, his clothes stripped from him, and left for dead in the bar ditch of life. Have you ever had anybody take advantage of you? I want to tell you one of the most difficult things going on in our nation right now in mass is how many senior adults are being conned out of their estates because of false phone calls and all kinds of things. And if you have grandmothers and granddads that you love, people that are up in years that are a little gullible on the phone, you've just won a million dollars. All you've got to do is send 20000 to this address and we'll get your payments done. Turn them in, folks. If you get a call from the IRS, I want to tell you, I've been audited by the IRS. The IRS does not call you. They send you a notice, a letter, and says, report thus and so, this and so. If the Social Security office says, we're going to come visit you, Social Security office does not do home visits. Okay? Now, I'm telling you all all of this because this happens right here in our community every week. And sometimes people bite on those things and sometimes they lose their money 
just that quick. There are always robbers and thieves out there. Some of them just happened to be on the road to Jericho. And they waylaid the guy and left him for dead in the ditch. Notice the next group of characters. Third character, a priest. On his way up to Jerusalem to serve in the temple, he passed by on the opposite side of the road, most likely thinking the man was dead and he was a keeper of the law and was fixing to go to the temple. And he knew if he touched the dead man, he would not be able to serve in the temple for 10 days to two weeks. That's the law in that day and time for him, religious law. He would lose his opportunity. And so his duty was more important than helping someone in need. His meeting, his job, his classroom was more important than stopping and seeking to render aid. His standing in the community, his observance of the law was more important than a person's life. He must have been a Baptist preacher. Fourth character, the Levite. Also passed by on the other side of the road. He might have gone a little closer to the injured man, the victim of the crime, but he too was on his way to the temple, and he too had an appointment at the temple or the synagogue or some meeting whereby he didn't need to take care and time to stop. Must have been a church of Christ preacher. And then here's the Samaritan. The Samaritan was the most hated of all peoples in that day and time by the Jews. You need to understand this figures in deeply into the story. There was no group that was hated on earth as much as the Jewish people hated the Samaritans. They worshipped on different mountains. They had different beliefs. They were considered unclean all the way around. Gentiles. God didn't care about them. That was the Jewish attitude towards Samaritans. I wonder who the Samaritan would be in our culture. Now I'm going to get real close to where we live. Would it be an illegal alien that has come in from Mexico or Central America or South America looking to le make a life? Would he be the most hated? Would it be a Muslim? I can get a lot of amens on that because some of you have a deep prejudice against all Muslims. And I want to share with you straight out right now, all Muslims are not bad people. Hear me. I just get sick of it. We paint everybody with a black brush. We've got a lot of right-wing Christians that are way off the map that, that advocate violence. I want to share something with you. I do not want to be painted with that black brush concerning people who call themselves Christians. We've got a Baptist church that regularly shows themselves at funerals of veterans protesting. I don't agree with that. I think it's, it's poor. I think it's not what Jesus would want. And I don't like to be painted with that black brush that they paint the Westboro Baptist Church with. I don't agree with them. You know, who would be our Samaritan? Would it be Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or a black or Hispanic or Asian? Would it be somebody who's gay or somebody who's a gambler or somebody who's an alcoholic or somebody who's a drug addict? You see, we all have prejudices. And some of you say, no, I don't have any prejudice. I'm going to call you a liar right now because that's just not true. Everyone in here has prejudices. We just do. You say, well, I don't have any prejudices. How do you like your eggs in the morning? Well, I want only mine scrambled. Well, I don't want only mine over easy. Well, I want mine boiled. I don't like eggs. They're bad for you. You know, everybody has prejudices in here. Did y'all know that? How many of you love the Dallas Cowboys? See, I get a lot of amens on that. Well, how many love Tom Landry? 
I have to admit, I like Tom Landry. He's gone on to be with the Lord, but I like Tom Landry. You, you see where the prejudice comes in? We all have prejudices. Okay. Who would our Samaritan be? That's your, you can answer that question yourself. Now notice several things about the Samaritan. He saw the man who was hurt and he went to his aid. He didn't worry about what others thought. He didn't worry about his business affairs or appointments that he may have had. He didn't have a cell phone to call ahead, folks. They didn't have cell phones in that day. The scripture says, But the Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. That's verse 33. He had mercy. He showed compassion. He did something about the man's condition. Look what he did, verse 34. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. Took a first aid kit in that day and time. Wine and oil, that's all they had. And he bandaged his wounds. Not only that, he loaded him up on his donkey and he takes him to get some help at an inn. And the scripture says he gave out two silver coins to the innkeeper. He may have known the innkeeper. The Samaritan may have been by there a hundred times. Who knows? The thing of it was, the innkeeper trusted him because he gives him two silver coins. You say, well, that's not very much. A silver coin was a day's wage in that day and time. And it would last for a week to two weeks in taking care of somebody in an inn. Go study the history of it. It's not just a couple of, couple of quarters, folks. It was a full week's stay and another full week's stay. Easy. If you do the history on the story. And then notice what else happens. He says to the man, you take care of him and when I come back. I'll take care of all the, all of the expenses. Must have had a gold card, platinum card. He must have this guy close to his heart because the guy trusts him. Have you ever taken anybody to the back of a hospital in an emergency room and had to pay for their bill? I have. Pastor, yes. Bicycle wreck, yes. Sixty to hundred bicycles going down a hill through the canyon going 60 to 70 miles an hour and young boy pulls out over on the right hand side and there's one of those <laughs> work ahead one of those orange signs and he cuts back in against the group and calls a pile up and I took a young man right out of college all of his front teeth knocked out handlebar went right through his teeth picked up his teeth I'm telling you this because I want you to understand sometimes you don't have a choice as to who you pick up we sent four to five Suburbans and two ambulances down to pick up the bodies on the side of the road in Red River, New Mexico. Enchanted tour. Oh, yeah, it was enchanted, all right. When I got to the Taos Holy Cross Hospital, when we got him in and I picked up the teeth and took them and let them see if they could put them back in, when we got through, they came out and gave me the bill. Well, I didn't agree to pay with that. And I, all I did was transport him. See, while well, I'm doing, trying to justify myself, I was just asked to go bring the suburban down here and take the guy to the hospital. How, how am I responsible for the bill? You're going to find out in life there's sometimes when you help people, you will be responsible, like it or not. Notice what happens. Oh, he asks the expert in the law. He says, pay attention when Jesus is asking the questions, folks. Which one? 
Which one do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among the thieves and robbers? Expert in the law, he couldn't dodge this one. The one who had mercy on him. Other scriptures say, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus has always been about mercy, folks. He wants to work mercy into us. So when we see someone in need, regardless of their condition, regardless of how they got there, regardless of their situation, we show mercy and compassion to them. Why? Because He shows mercy and compassion to us. See, mercy was more important than what anything else He might have had on His agenda. You know, the only time I've seen mercy in mass is when we had our hurricane hit our coast down here. Because then we saw people forget about the color of skin, the political agendas, the different parts of town, the age. It didn't matter. Folks, people showed up to help people in need. And when you got Cajuns coming from Louisiana to help black people in Houston, God's doing a work. And I'm not against Cajuns in Louisiana. You need to know that. I've preached down there a number of times. And I, I know how they are. Some people still live in the Civil War, folks. And some people are still fighting the Civil War. God does a work in us when we let His mercy by His Holy Spirit flow through us and His compassion in us. Notice the characters again. The lawyer... He was looking how to get out of the situation. Folks, I want to tell you, faith and works are inseparably linked. We're not saved by our works. Ephesians 2.8 says, we're saved by faith through grace in Christ. It's a gift from God. Nothing we can do to earn it. God blesses us in Christ with His grace. But if you read on down in that chapter, it says we are all saved for good works. The two are linked together. You can't separate them. You can't just say, I believe, and go on. I know lots of people that believe the Bible and know the Bible even more than I do, but I want to share something with you, and I'm not their judge. God is their judge. Where it breaks down is in the application of it. Is it put into practice? And I would tell you that's where it breaks down in my life. Is it put into practice? Then there were the thieves and the robbers. They're looking for some unsuspecting soul, some traveler who provided an opportunity to be taken advantage of. There will always be takers in our world, folks, that try to take advantage of you, regardless of your age, regardless of your situation. Use wisdom in dealing with them. And then there's those religious leaders, the priests, the Levites. To them, religious duty was more important than compassion. God forbid if that's ever said of any of us. You know why? Because if we're going to change the way we feel about a person, then we need to be willing to change the way we treat people. And if we don't, it's not going to happen. Now, all these people had something in common. Guess what they had in common? You say, what, what is the Levite and the priest and the lawyer and the Samaritan and the thieves and the robbers have in common? Jesus died on the cross for every one of them. They're all included. Even some I wouldn't include. The injured man was a person as an opportunity to show compassion to. Jesus used him. Hey, you want to know how 
life is, if you want to grow in your faith, then help people in need. And Jesus loved them all enough to die on the cross for all of them and to save all of them from their sins. If we're going to change the attitude, the way we feel about a person, then we've got to be willing to change the way, the way we treat people. And if we're not treating them with Christ's love, we're not doing what God wants us to do. Let's pray. Father, would you during this time of invitation speak to our hearts and help us to know your presence. If someone here today has not trusted you, Lord, would you help them to make that decision this day in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Beth's going to come and lead us.